Father, we've been singing your word this morning. We have sung about how great you are that we could and will spend all of eternity singing your praises and not really run out of things to say. We've sung about how you love us so much that you save us and keep us. And Father, if, if that doesn't bring a smile to the believer, then perhaps we don't really understand that truth. Because the reality is, is we, as your children, though we were bought with a price, and that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we still don't live like we should so often. And yet you keep us. And though the, the world around us is, is stressful and discouraging and we find ourselves at our wits end all too often, you keep us. Father, thank you for the promise that no matter what happens to us in this world, our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. Not in our own works, in his Father, what a joy it is to be your child. Father, if there's someone here today who is not yet your child, Lord, open their eyes. Help them to see their need for salvation, their need for a Savior to save them from their own sins. And help them to turn in faith to you, turning from their sin and turning in faith to you so that they might believe and have new life in Christ. We thank you, Father, that we could gather here together today. We thank you that we can uh, unite our voices as we worship you in song and as we uh, worship you in the word of God, unite our hearts that we might uh, be unified in our desire to live lives pleasing to you. As we uh, study Philippians, the mind of Christ, help us to think like Christ. Help us to have our priorities set in the same vein that Christ would, so that our actions would follow suit and so that we could help others do the same. So Father, as we have humbled ourselves before you, setting, uh, setting aside time so that we can worship you, Lord, help us to not be distracted by other ways that we could be using our time right now. As we have come apart from the world so that we might be with God's people to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray that the, the word of God would take root in our lives and we'd carry it with us throughout the week and that it would grow us, it would change us, it would impact how we talk to people and how we interact and how we respond because we want to be more like Jesus Christ. So Father, as we dig into your word, I ask, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would bless us that you would give us understanding, that you would guide my thoughts as I speak, help us to hear from your word and be empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to join me in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Our series is The Mind of Christ, which comes from Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have the capacity to think and thus act like Jesus only because of Jesus. 
It's not because uh, our parents were good people. It's not because we grew up in a church. We have the capacity to think and act like Jesus because of his salvation, because of the spirit that indwells us once we believe. The layout of the book, book of Philippians goes like this. The chapter one started out with uh, an opening thanksgiving, uh, and then Paul speaks of his imprisonment, and yet the gospel progressed while he has been in prison. It goes completely against what people would expect. That's what happened. In chapter two, uh, we are encouraged, we are challenged to follow Jesus' example with the pinnacle of the hymn in, in uh, in the earlier verses of chapter 2, uh, of, about Jesus Christ, that hymn about his emptying and his exaltation. He emptied himself. He set aside the glories of heaven to come to earth, to be a human just like us, but without sin. And he died for us, and because he died for us, God has exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Chapter 2 continues with examples of men who had the mind of Christ. We're looking at one of them today. It's Timothy. The other one is Epaphroditus, and Lord willing, we will look at that next week. Chapter 3 is Paul's example of living out the mind of Christ. So we've, given, we've been given the example of Jesus Christ himself, and then uh, three men who lived it out, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul and in chapter 4. Guess what it does? It challenges us to live like that. So a, a wonderful sequence of events that we're just right in the midst of right now. Today we're looking at the example of Timothy. And, uh, and our sermon title is Be Like Timothy. Very simple. And, and we'll see what, what I mean by that as we dig into the passage. So I invite you to join reading the passage along with me. Philippians chapter 2 will begin in verse 19. Follow along if you would. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Father, we pray for the blessing on your word this morning. Speak to us through it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Who is it that you call Call up on the phone or send a text message just because you miss them. You've got someone, don't you? Uh, perhaps a family member who no longer lives nearby and you don't see them very often, and so you, you call them from time to time. Uh, God designed us to be social beings, to crave community. And, and some of you might be sitting here thinking, I'd much rather be alone. Well, for t from time to time, perhaps that's true of us. But even the most introverted of persons needs to have additional human contact. And Paul is just like that. He desperately misses his church family in Philippi, and he can't call them like we can. Can't uh, fire off a message throughout the day and, and have this little constant conversation going on with the people that he misses. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians, and, and the next best thing for him, since he can't go visit, him, visit them personally, is he wants to send Timothy 
to them so that Timothy can interact with them and bring those conversations back in person to Paul. So we're going to see Paul's desire here in our passage this morning. His desire is to send Timothy. And we see in verse 19, we see Timothy's positivity or his positive attitude. Uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Remember, Paul is in chains. He's imprisoned. He cannot just uh, check in with the Philippian church and see how they're doing. I mean, he can send letters and he's doing that as we read his letter to the Philippians. That's what he did. Uh, but he wants to be confident. He doesn't want just this, this one-way communication of sending a letter. He wants to be confident that, that the Philippians are living for the Lord, that this church that Paul helped establish is healthy spiritually. And because he can't have these first-person observations by going himself, he's going to settle for second-person observations uh, by sending Timothy. And next week we'll see Epaphroditus, uh, the same thing. And in doing so, Paul will have a greater analysis of how the believers at Philippi are doing in both proclaiming the gospel and living out the gospel. Now note the thrust of this verse. This verse. Uh, Paul does not say, I'm looking forward to hearing news of how you're doing. It's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, I'm looking forward to being cheered up by the news of how you're doing. Paul is optimistic that Timothy is going to return with a positive report. And some of that comes from he expects that the Philippians are going to be living right and so there's going to be a good report. But part of it is he knows Timothy. And Timothy is going to cheer up Paul with whatever's going on in Philippi. I believe Paul has an optimistic attitude but that kind of contradicts what he wrote in verse 12 look back up there if you would with me verse 12 he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling doesn't verse 12 kind of give off the vibe that maybe Paul anticipates that they're not living for the Lord and they need to be reminded the reality is people are more nuanced and complicated than simply being good followers of Christ or being bad followers of Christ. In other words, there are people who are genuinely living for Jesus and they need to have reminders like verse 12. Keep obeying God, even though Paul's not able to be there to interact with them. And for those who are slacking, perhaps verse 12 will be the wake-up call that they need to live godly lives so that when Timothy does show up, they'll have already gotten back into the groove of living for the Lord. And Timothy's going to be able to bring that positive report back to Paul. And quite possibly, there will be some who, upon hearing this expectation, will indeed do just that. They will live the way they ought to. People really do gravitate toward living up to the expectations of those who love them. Parents, you know this. If you expect that your children will never get their room clean, guess what? They'll never get their room clean. If you expect that they won't do well in school, they will live up to that expectation. If you lovingly encourage your children to live godly lives, they will put effort into doing that. I can't guarantee everyone will, but in general, 
people want to live up to their expectations. Employers and bosses, you will inspire the desired behavior in those under your purview by your expectations. Disciple makers, you will stir up others to be disciples living for God and helping others do the same by your expectations. That's exactly what Paul is doing in chapter 2. Having the mind of Christ and living it out is not an unreasonable expectation. It's not. In fact, that's the baseline for the believer. That's where we all should be. Knowing Christ and living out what that knowledge brings us. So Paul fully expects when Timothy goes to visit Philippi and returns, that he will have a good report of how the believers are living for God and how God is using them to spread the gospel. I do see Paul as being optimistic, but, but let's be a little bit, let's always be realistic, okay? I don't know why I said a little bit. Let's be realistic with where Paul is. He's in prison. He hopes to send Timothy. That's a positive desire. Uh, he expects uh, to be cheered by the news that Timothy brings back. So that's a positive report that he expects. But I also see here a bit of the struggle that Paul faces. Now, he doesn't come right out and say it. He doesn't complain about it. But again, pay attention to the wording in verse 19. He doesn't say, I hope to hear good news. He says, I hope to be cheered. He wants to be cheered up. Because his life is hard. I mean, if you were in his position, wouldn't you characterize your life as being hard? One who's trying to live for the Lord, and instead of, uh, and instead of watching the ministry that he's been placed in grow like wildfire, he has to watch from the sidelines as he's been put in prison. He wants to be cheered up. His life is hard. Ministry is hard enough because anytime anyone tries to point others to Jesus or tries to help Believers be better followers of Jesus. Anytime someone does that, the enemy puts that person in the crosshairs and attacks. Paul has been under spiritual attack. Ministry on its own is hard enough, but Paul's in prison. Not maximum security prison, but still his movement is restricted. His communication is limited. His comforts are few. And so are his relationships. Very few people have been in contact with him. He needs to be cheered up. And Paul's optimistic enough to believe that he will be cheered up by Timothy's report. Be like Timothy. Be one who has a reputation of cheering people up. Timothy's going to see the good and the bad that's going on in Philippi. And there will be bad. How do I know? Because the Philippian church is made of people. And anytime you have people, there's going to be sin. Anytime you have people, there's going to be those who are living for the Lord and those who are not, and those who are hovering somewhere in between. Timothy's going to see the good and the bad, but what's he going to bring back to Paul? He's going to bring back the good news. Now, he's not going to ignore the problems that need to be addressed. He's not going to neglect the bad, but he's going to major on the good. Believer in Jesus Christ, your reputation should be that of seeing the good, of commending the good. We see the bad all the time, but we of all people don't need to dwell there, do we? We have God 
We have our salvation. Could anything on this earth be so bad as to eclipse the goodness of God in our lives? Sometimes it feels like it. But never, right? We see Timothy's positivity. We see Timothy's trustworthiness, verses 20 and 21. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's looking out for the Philippians, verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Paul trusts Timothy to have the same gospel or discipleship priorities that he has. And so because Timothy has the same priorities as Paul, he knows that when Timothy goes to be with the Philippians, that uh, he's going to carry along with him the priorities that Paul himself would have if he were to go in person. Paul trusts that Timothy sincerely cares for the spiritual growth of the believers at Philippi. He knows Timothy will put the mission of the gospel of Christ ahead of the comforts and distractions of the world. But not everyone is like this. He knows that, and he says as much in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Who are they? Who are these others? Well, we don't know. They are nameless, they are faceless, but they are indicative of the selfishness and self-centeredness that plagues all of mankind. Paul had been burnt before. You remember John Mark? In Acts 13, verse 13, John Mark abandons the ministry, the, mi the missionary endeavor that he was embarking on with Paul and others. John Mark says, you know what, I'm done. And he leaves. Paul had been burnt before. I think John Mark's relationship, not, not I think, I know John Mark's relationship was restored with Paul later on. But in the moment, Paul doesn't know that that's going to happen. And that pain of abandonment is very real. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he mentions a man named Demas. It says, Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. It's possible that Demas turned back to the Lord and church ministry, but we have no indication in Scripture that he did. And I'm not suggesting that, that he's speaking directly of Demas here, but this is an example from Scripture of someone that, uh, that was ministering for the Lord and abandoned the ministry and would be the type of person that Paul would be talking about in saying that they, uh, they don't seek out the interests of Jesus Christ. Paul trusts Timothy. He doesn't have anyone else with him that he trusts enough to do what he needs Timothy to do. He trusts Timothy and no one else. Be like Timothy. Serve God and his people. Serve God and his people in a way that people can trust that you will follow through, that you will stay with it. Be one that God can use to bring encouragement to others like Paul who need encouragement. Be trustworthy like Timothy. In verse 22, we see Timothy's primary motivation. 
But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul and Timothy have a tight relationship. Paul often refers to Timothy as his son, not because they are related by blood, they are not. Now, Paul does have some blood relatives. He has a sister and her son that are mentioned just in passing. But nowhere in Scripture does Paul actually mention family other than those two. But who does he call his son? Timothy. And he's clear every time, son in the faith. Uh, he's saying that, that he was able to mentor Timothy in the ministry, and their relationship grew like that of a father teaching his son. They're so close that Paul has great confidence that he knows Timothy's motivation, and that motivation is to help others live for Jesus. Oftentimes, serving together for gospel purposes develops relationships that are stronger than family ties. Though Paul was a, an apostle and Timothy was not, and even though Paul was the mentor and Timothy was the apprentice, notice that Paul does not use terms of a hierarchy here saying that Timothy worked under me. No, he says Timothy worked with me. They were in sync. They had the same purpose and motivation. Be like Timothy. Work diligently to make the gospel alive in your own life and help others do the same. That was his primary motivation. We call that discipleship. It's living as a transformed being because of the gospel and then helping to make new disciples and help other disciples grow. In the last couple verses, verses 23 and 24, we see God's sovereignty. We've seen Timothy's positivity, his trustworthiness, and his primary motivation. And in verses 23 and 24, we see God's sovereignty. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul does not know his future. He needs Timothy with him at the present time, but when there is an opportunity to send him, he's going to send him. And no one knows exactly why Paul needs Timothy side by side in, in this moment. What, we don't know what's going on in Paul's life specifically, but what is clear is that Timothy uniquely sustains Paul to the point that he can barely get by without him. He doesn't want Timothy to go, but yet he's going to send Timothy because he wants so desperately to hear back from the Philippians. Be like Timothy. Pour yourself into others. It might just be one other person. Okay, there's a, a level of relating to people that you can't do with the masses, you can't do with everyone, but pour into others. Pour into them so thoroughly that when you are absence, absent, your absence isn't just noticed, it's felt. That there's a pain point when you're gone. If we couple together uh, this last verse, verse 24, with verse 19, we see the sovereignty of God shine through. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. In verse 24, and I trust in the Lord 
that I might come soon also. The sovereignty of God just constantly flows into Paul's conversations. In verse 19, he wants to send Timothy to, to Philippi, but God is the one who will actually make that happen. And in verse 24, Paul himself wants to head to Philippi, but only God can make that happen. I probably do not talk enough about the sovereignty of God. And I talk about it a lot. I feel like I talk about it a lot. That's how important the sovereignty of God is. That it should flow out of our conversation all the time as we see it flowing out of Paul's words in today's passage. God's guiding hand over all affairs of mankind should be in front of our conscious mind all the time. Not in the back of our mind, the front of our mind. Now, I'm not suggesting that we must say, if the Lord wills, every time we say we're going to do something. We are going to have a members meeting tonight at 6 o'clock, if the Lord wills. I'm not suggesting we need to tack that phrase on to everything we say. It wouldn't hurt. It's biblical. It comes from James chapter 4. James 4, 14 and 15, you do not know what tomorrow will bring for what is your life, for you, will vapor, you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. It is biblical to constantly say, if the Lord desires or if the Lord wills. But look at Paul's word choice. He says, he does not say, if the Lord desires, I will send Timothy. Or if the Lord desires, I will visit you myself. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. And I trust in the Lord to visit you in person. Paul alludes to the sovereignty of God as an active part of Paul's desires and not merely as a restrictive barrier to his desires. Do you see the difference? If Paul were to say, I'm going to send Timothy to you in a couple weeks, well, if the Lord wills, he's then using that as, uh, as God's will might be a barrier to his desires. Instead, he projects a completely different sentiment in what he says. He says that what he says actually comes across as a prayer. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. I trust in the Lord to come see you soon. My catchphrase this morning is be like Timothy, but for this verse, it's be like Paul. Be like Paul. Put the will of the Father ahead of your own. Subject all your plans to his will. And also, be like Paul. Put so much confidence in the good guiding hand of God that your conversation overflows with his sovereignty. Scripture is replete with examples of believers to follow and to imitate so that we too might have the mind of Christ. Our example today was simply Timothy. Be like Timothy. Have a positive outlook like Timothy has and is known to have. Be trustworthy. 
have your primary motivation to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make it known to those who don't know Jesus, that they need a savior, because without a savior, there is no hope. Be like Timothy, whose primary motivation is to grow other believers. And always keep God's sovereignty at the front of your mind. Let's pray. Father, work in us and through us to be godly examples to others as Timothy was a godly example to the Philippian church and to us. Help us to be people who think the way you think. You always keep the eternal in view. You always keep your purposes of being glorified and having the gospel spread, to have uh, the Son be glorified. Father, help us to be motivated like Timothy was. Father, help us to always recognize that your hand is at work that nothing happens in this world outside of your command. and Help us to trust you. Father, thank you for the way that you do work in us when we submit our wills to yours. And so, Father, we ask that you would indeed grow us to be more like our Savior. We know that this is what you want to do in our lives and what's stopping us is sin. Father, help us to turn from our sin, submitting to you to live like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that when we truly desire to be like our Savior, you will bless that desire, you will answer that prayer, and you will help us to grow. So Father, we'll give you the praise and thanks for how you will grow us as we meditate on these words of scripture this morning, in Jesus' name.